one of the ways that awakening or liberation have been defined is being free of the three roots of ignorance, greed, hatred, and delusion. And one of the reasons that I really resonate with that particular definition is that it seems tangible. It's understandable. It's, uh, um, I've seen people who are kinder than me. <laughs> I've seen people who are more equanimous. Uh, so it, it's um, something that seems very doable as a human being. Um, they're also called the three poisons because they poison our happiness. And they, uh, they give rise to this, all the second, you know, sometimes greed and hatred sound a little strong. You know, when so much of our daily dukkha, daily suffering uh, can be over things that seem much more trivial. Uh, but it includes all the secondary defilements, uh, you know, like irritation and uh, being judgmental, being um, uptight, tense. Um, you know, just wanting, wanting an ice cream as opposed to greed. Um, and um, delusion gives rise, that's the tricky one, you know, and um, the one I'm going to focus on more is uh, it can give rise to arrogance. You know, we don't really realize we're being arrogant when we think we're better than everybody else. Um, we just think it's true. <laughs> Uh, pride, uh, confusion, you know, and we th when we think we're lesser than anybody else. Uh, restlessness and doubt are filled with illusion. Greed says, I want. Hatred says, I don't want that. But delusion says, I don't know what I want. I don't even know that I'm wanting or not wanting. In the process of letting go that we do in practice, that we've been doing this whole week, uh, we weaken these roots. And when we weaken the roots, we also strengthen just naturally uh, the generosity that arises when, we, when greed gets weakened, the <coughs> loving kindness that arises, the goodwill, uh, when we let go of, of aversion and hatred and the wisdom that arises. I've seen so much wisdom this retreat. I mean, I'm so moved by the wisdom that I see in, you know, uh, in this room. When we look at greed, it's very, if we look at it closely, we really spend enough time hanging out with it, we really can see that it's painful in fact, um, people even say, I want that so badly. You know, um, you know, I think there's some love song, you know, um, I, it's, you know, um, how does it go? It's, um, um, I love you so much it hurts me, you know. So, y you know, th we, we notice it. We do notice that, but, uh, but uh, we get caught in it so much that we don't really often notice. We get so caught in our wanting, we don't notice the, the dukkha of it, the pain of it. 
most of us have known moments of contentment. It's such a relief not to want anything. It feels so nice to just, oh, I don't need to have anything right now. I've got everything I need right now. It's such a uh, relief to not be wanting. In the same way, if we um, pay attention to uh, anger or any of the um, similar defilements of anger, uh, we notice what happens in the body. Uh, the body, the blood pressure goes up, the heart beats faster, the muscles get tense, or face flushes, all these chemicals coursing through our body. And um, it doesn't feel good. And you do that long enough, your body gets really unhealthy from chronic anger. It, you know, we call it stress. It's a type of stress. Uh, but with the lesser defilements, even simple things like aversion to sound. I don't know if you've noticed on retreat sometimes, you know, something, you know, not major shows up that's really unpleasant and we tense. Yeah, somebody snoring, maybe, maybe, you know, we tensed. But, you know, when we notice the painfulness of anger, then we have much more of a tendency to drop it. The common analogy is that anger is like a hot coal in your hand. If you see it, you know, you're naturally going to drop it. You don't have to say, let go. <laughs> you know, yes, let go, hot coal, you know. No, it's just, just natural. It's what we do. And that's why uh, in the practice to look at our um, greed and an aversion really carefully, really notice it, really notice the dukkha inherent in it. But delusion, by its very nature, is something we don't see. You know, it's something, you know, the primary quality of delusion is that it thinks it's true. And delusion can range from really gross things to really subtle things. And um, on retreat in particular, I've heard this more than once, but... um, uh, but it's happened more than once, and that's why it gets told a lot. Um, there's a thing that uh, people refer to, they call it a Vipassana romance. And what happens is you see somebody on the retreat, and um, something about them, and you start projecting all these things about them. Uh, I know I've been told by people who've done this that they actually imagine getting married, having kids, you know, the whole, you know, the whole thing, you know. And uh, and then at the end of the retreat, they meet the person and, oh, this is someone, someone else. <laughs> this is somebody totally different. Um, so that's a Vipassana romance. It's delusion. And when they met them, delusion, when we see delusion, it goes poof and it's gone. I got caught in the opposite, the Vipassana Vendetta. And, um, yeah, I was in a a retreat like this, you know, and the person, I was on one of the cushions on the floor, and the person in front of me, every sitting, they'd get a little further back, closer to me, (laughs) you know. And by the 
towards the end of the day, their zavatan was touching mine, and my feet had nowhere to go, you know, to move. And, you know, and so the moment that, you know, I, I finally noticed they, they were doing that every day, and so, you know, I immediately at lunch, I'd move it back, you know, and I just had all these terrible thoughts about this inconsiderate, selfish, self-absorbed, terrible yogi, and... Um, and it was interesting because at, at the end of the retreat, she came up to me, and she was one of the most sweetest, most beautiful people I've, I've met. And she said to me, I really hope I didn't disturb you moving my seat back. The person in front of me had this uh, scent, and I had trouble breathing. And, um, you know, so I kept moving away from it, trying to be able to breathe okay. You know, and it was just like, in, it was just a moment, all of it one way. All my ideas and images and um, actually months of thoughts about her <laughs> uh, went away. Um, we can all see the effects of societal delusions. Um, you know, wars are fought because people believe that theirs is the only way. You know, and so many people believe theirs is the only way. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, if it weren't sad, it'd be really comical. On a personality level, you know, we, we get all these delusions about, um, you know, believing that, um, you know, I've heard this on this retreat a few times, you know, that um, um, we're not okay unless we're perfect. You know, unless we do everything right. Otherwise, we're not okay. And we're never perfect. You know, so that's a very painful, painful delusion. And it's amazing how many of us are run by that, that it's not okay to make a mistake. When I was um, in my 20s, um, uh, I had opened my chiropractic office it's the second time I'm mentioning that today. Uh, I mean, this week. Um, you know, I, I hardly had any money, you know, so this was like a really big deal to me. And um, I uh, leased my equipment, so um, from, from uh, kind of a small company at a discount. And uh, so I got this x-ray machine and, and um, you know, processor for, to develop the films. And a very short period into, into this, uh, I came into the office one morning, and my entire wall-to-wall carpet was flooded in chemical sludge. And, um, and I had to, you know, had to cancel my patients, of course. And I uh, called, you know, angrily called this guy, and they just ignored my calls absolutely would not call back. And I was enraged. I was so, so angry. And um, I could really had trouble getting off it. But I just had serendipity, though. Um, someone who was a mentor to me called me, you know, and um, so they got to listen to me for 10 minutes, you know. And, um, and at the end, you know, he very quietly, very nicely said, um, you don't have to be a victim. And for whatever reason, I was ready to hear it. And everything just flipped. 
Everything flipped in me. And all of a sudden, this feeling of helplessness and anger was gone. And I just thought, oh, I, I can actually do something now. And, um, and it was just, you know, and that's how delusion is. You see it, you know, and he was just able to point it out to me, which was just such a gift. Uh, but something in me just really transformed. And I was able to, you know, next morning I, you know, uh, uh, rented something and took his x-ray equipment machine, dropped it off at his front door, and, and proceeded to get my office back, back in gear, you know. But, um, but it's that power of, of, of breaking through delusion. Um, you know, it's any moment we do that, it so, can be so life-changing. Um, and Buddhist practice, you know, those are kind of like very, uh, we call more gross delusions. Uh, but Buddhist practice points to much, much subtler delusions. And so they take, um, they take a quieter mind to see them usually. And the core delusion that, that uh, Buddhist practice addresses is the delusion um, of the three characteristics of human existence, impermanence, which is what we've been talking about, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. And um, I spent a lot of time in my early practice frustrated, very, very frustrated by trying to understand delusion. You know, I remember um, sitting on retreat and hearing a talk about greed, hatred, and delusion, you know, and, and I'd watch, you know, you know, my mind, you know, I'd get aversive, yep, I can deal with, you know, that I can, I, I can meet, you know, and greed, yep, I can meet that, and then they'd say delusion, it's like, huh, you know, I was confused, <laughs> deluded. Um, part of the strength of delusion is that we tend to see what we expect to see. Um, an example, um, there was a, a study that was done uh, about placebos. And they took a group of people and, um, you know, they split them to two and they, um, uh, they told them they were, get, they were pain patients, they all had pain. And they told them that they were getting a pain pill and they gave half of them a sugar pill that, that they told them cost 10 cents. And they give the other half a sugar pill, the same pill, but they told them it cost 250 At the time, that was more money. Uh, <laughs> but, um, um, and lo and behold, the ones with the pill that was $2.50, um, the, the, it worked much better than the ones with the cheap pills. Um, and that's the power of delusion. That's the our senses. Uh, um, we ignore our senses. The idea is so strong in our minds. 
Um, another example, which is, I think, really important, is um, there's a school teacher, and she was given a class of um, underachievers, but she was told they were gifted. And what happened was that, at, you know, at the end of uh, the course, uh, they did so much better than anyone had ever expected them to do. But these aren't just unusual quirks, you know, little cute little stories that happen, you know, just in the right situation. This is actually how our minds delude themselves. This is what we do day in and day out with our minds. You know, if we believe that people are untrustworthy, we tend to see what um, the ways that they are aren't reliable. Um, if, we, if we believe we're uh, flawed, we tend to see what's wrong with us. You know, I've I've always uh, been a ama- you know kind of astounded really by what happens when people divorce sometimes. Here's the love of your life. You spent 25 years together loving each other. You know, something was working for a while. (laughs) And then all of a sudden this person has not a single good quality. Um, You know, it's um, uh, delusion. It's one of the reasons that I've, over the years, I've often reminded myself to not believe everything I think. One of the reasons also, you know, you've probably a lot of times, you know, as as we practice and, you know, uh, you know, you might talk with a teacher, you know, and, and, you know, they often point out that's the narrative, you know, how, what's going on inside you now, not the story, not the narrative. And um, the narratives we tell ourselves are often really far from the truth. Um, you know, these are interesting, um, and this is a kind of a quirk of humans. Um, uh, there was a man, uh, there's an example. He went to a, um, you know, some classical concert, and you know, on his, on his way there, he was really excited, really looking forward to it. He's very, very happy, and you know, he was listening to the concert, and he was like really absorbed, and it was just such a beautiful, moving, moving concert. And uh, right near the end, there was this horrible, horrible screech in the room, and. Um, you know, everybody got a little unsettled. <laughs> but afterwards, when he told the story, basically the concert was ruined. You know, it was a bad concert. It was ruined because we tend to, we tend to take endings and, um, you know, and create our narratives, giving the ending of a narrative more weight. And I think that's what happens on divorce, too, because, uh, uh, you know, forget all the the years of love and focus on the the difficult parts at the end more. But so, you know, we tell our narratives ourselves about this is, even even our narratives about what happened on retreat sometimes, you know, I question that myself when when I've retold them. They're somehow not always all that, you know, all that accurate. 
the teachings The teachings uh, point to um, four primary distortions of the way we see things. And um, the first one is to view things that are impermanent as permanent. And those are some of the examples we mentioned, you know, love forever, you know, and then divorce, you know. We, we tend to think, you know, we're going to live forever somehow. Somehow we don't actually believe we're, uh, we're going to die, you know, or, or that health is going to last. So unconsciously, because uh, we believe in these things, um, we can make our lives, our happiness, dependent on those things, dependent on another person dependent on a job, depending on our children, dependent on um, a lot of impermanent things. It's such a prevalent delusion that the Buddha actually recommended these five daily recollections. Um, And I'll just read them to you. Um, I am of the nature to grow old. I cannot avoid aging. I'm of the nature to become ill or injured. I cannot avoid illness or injury. I'm of the nature to die. I cannot avoid death. All that is mine, dear and delightful, will change and vanish. I am the owner of my actions. I am born of my actions. I am related to my actions. I am supported by my actions. Any thoughts, words, or deeds I do, good or evil, those I will inherit. And I think that the way we can hold that, um, instead of holding, holding it with the sadness of things that die, um, we can hold it with a, um, appreciation of the preciousness of everything that changes, everything that is here and gone. So the the second primary distortion is um, that what is suffering is happiness. We mistake suffering for happiness. And we tend to believe that chasing what we want and rejecting what we don't want is a good strategy for happiness. And, And as I mentioned, since none of us can get what we want a lot of the time, that means we're perpetually unhappy when we do that. And then the third one is what is empty of self to be self. And um, 
we identify with things that are insub- insubstantial, and we think of them as real. Uh, we ident- you know, just as Gil was talking yesterday, you know, we identify with with our identities, with our looks, um, with um, that's so huge in our culture, you know, identifying with our looks. I remember when I was younger, you know, uh, uh, people would really suffer over having a bad hair day, you know, and, and others uh, having a no hair day, um, and or wrinkles, you know, as you get older, it changes a little bit. Uh, but um, we can identify so much with our bodies, our shape, our size, uh, um, and that in in our culture that's huge it's huge we can identify with our jobs our children uh, or status in society um, like Gil said a, you know, a bad failed oatmeal maker um, a good bad meditator but my favorite identities, my go-to identities, have, have always been uh, what I felt my strongest ones were uh, opinions. You know, being right all the time. You know, that's always been one of my favorite uh, ways of identifying. You know, I'm really smart and I'm right. You know, and you know, and I'll fight for this. You know, <laughs> and, um, But we can use our identities. Our identities are useful. Uh, you know, it's nice to think of like taking our identities on and off like a cloak. You know, right now I'm a parent. Right now I'm a friend. Right now I'm a cook. Right now I'm a toilet cleaner. You know, just we take them on and off, on and off with, with a lightness of heart. And the fourth uh, misperception is uh, to think of what is not beautiful as beautiful. We even have a saying for that, beauty is in the eye of of the beholder. It's easy to see when it comes to art. Um, I know there's there's at least one artist here, so I don't want to... I don't want to say too much, but <laughs> but I remember um, uh, seeing um, a framed piece of rope that had a knot in it for twenty thousand dollars, and um, you know, to me that that's kind of like the emperor has no clothes a little bit. Um, may, maybe I missed it, you know. I don't know, but. Um, but it's, you know, it's not inherently, things aren't inherently beautiful. Or fashion, you know, uh, people invest a lot of, um, a, a lot in fashion. And, um, uh, you know, I used to have a beehive at one point. <laughs> um, you know, a flip, um, bell bottoms, you know, all these things that were really hip at one point. Um, you know, I've heard so many times, oh, they've got no taste, you know. Um, it's, you know, it's, um, it's more delusion, you know, more thinking things are beautiful that aren't. Um, but even more so is the way we view 
human bodies. You know, we view them as this, um, uh, you know, we see somebody really beautiful and attractive, you know, and of course, or, uh, you know, go, God, they're really beautiful, and, and you know, we want to look at them, and, and we just see their beauty, you know, and um, I still remember in high school, you know, I had a really good male buddy, you know, and, and um, he was shocked when I told him that girls farted, you know, he thought, you know, well, they're so beautiful. How could anything not beautiful come out of them? <laughs> and, um, you know, but we've got phlegm, you know, we've got feces, we've got um, sweat, you know, we, we have all sorts of um, unbeautiful things. So, you know, an essential part of practice is meeting these delusions and seeing through them. That's how we practice. We don't, like, grab them and try to tear them apart, but we just have to see through them when, when they show themselves, when it, when it opens up for us, that so we can do that. Um, one of the things that I noticed, you know, when I was uh, really struggling with the idea of delusion is that I noticed that um, desire, uh, uh, which, you know, when we cling to it becomes greed, um, <coughs> is natural in the world. You know, plants always move towards the light. Uh, you know, all life moves towards the pleasant and away from the unpleasant. It moves towards the things that make it thrive, that make it live and survive. Um, without desire for food, we would starve. Without desire for sex, there would be no humanity, no precious human life. Um, without um, aversion to cold, we might freeze to death. So the desire and aversion are, are these things that have helped us survive. Um, you know, they make life on this planet possible. So it made me think that if, well, if those are somehow useful and, and um, you know, the, the way we do these things are useful, maybe there's something useful about delusion. And so I started looking at how, how is delusion useful. And um, I realized that the, the fact that um, I don't realize that I could die at any moment Let's me plan the rest of my life. Let's me let me go to school. Let me, um, you know, you can plan for a ride for the retreat with that delusion. A, a retreat, a ride home from the retreat. Um, you know, so we can, um, uh, you know, do things in our lives uh, because we have that delusion that you know we, we're going to be alive in a moment. But how many people are suddenly not alive the next moment? That happens. Um, But one of the in 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 noticing how um, how delusion can be useful this way, um, and noticing what happens with um, uh, desire and aversion in, in the world. 
it made me realize that um, uh, it gave me a real deep respect for those instincts in our lives. Uh, and it allowed me to begin to befriend uh, the greed, aversion, and delusion in myself instead of making them the enemy. Um, I realized that, you know, how many of you really want to get to know your enemies? You know, I mean, we're not really drawn to get to know the people we, you know, we see as enemies, but we really want to get to know our friends intimately. And so for me, the the bringing that attitude towards the defilements, you know, the word itself sounds like, oh, they're wrong, they're bad, you know. And and so for me, um, to be able to see these really painful, sometimes yicky things inside me, uh, you know, but really look at them as if it's a friend, you know, it's a friend. Um, you know, when I was a child, you know, dysfunctional family like many of us had, um, the ways that I used greed and aversion actually helped me survive my, you know, my my life in the, in this in this world. And um, so, to respect that, you know, and when we respect it, we can open to it. You know, if we reject those things in ourselves or defilements, is something we have to get rid of. Um, uh, we, it's very hard to explore them, to give them room to free themselves. But any, any moment that we let go of clinging, any moment, at any given point, is a moment of freedom. We don't have to postpone our freedom until we get concentrated, until the next retreat, until we have the deepest insights, until our back stops hurting. Yeah, I've done that with all of those things. But letting go at any given moment is a moment of freedom. If you can just for a moment, just let go, just for a moment. And one of the things that happens when we let go, uh, as we continue to let go, this practice is just uh, a deepening of that letting go process. Uh, just our natural generosity, our natural goodwill, our loving kindness, our loving hearts continues to blossom more and more. Um, just the letting go process lets that come out naturally. It's not something we, we have to force out of ourselves. In our lives, they, they alternate, you know, the, they call them the worldly winds, the winds of change. You know, we get pain and pleasure, uh, gain and loss, uh, fame and disrepute, praise and blame, all those things, you know, that yo-yo us back and forth, back and forth. And if we can just allow them to come and go, just come and go, because they will, they will, they will come and go and keep coming and going. 
you know, and that letting go is, is freedom. So I'd like to um, end with a poem from uh, Zen monk, um, and I don't know if I have his name right, Kosan um, Ichigyo. And maybe close your eyes for this. Empty-handed, I entered the world. Barefoot, I leave it. My coming, my going, two simple happenings that got entangled. Let's sit for a minute. 